Yeah, we start for pizza because I felt really Mrs. bad. So Mrs. Chow. Mrs. Mrs. Chan. Mrs. Chan. Mr. Oh, Chow. Really yeah, fun. we start for pizza because you're in the door like, is anyone going to eat with me? So I paused the episode. So guys, you're listening to the cinema we see. We, we did take just now 10 minutes talking about In the Mood for Love. And then I was like... Pizza. Yeah, pizza. Let's just, <laughs> let's just come back round to this. So anyway, episode 14. Yeah. And this is Christopher's pick in the mood for love. That's right. And could you please tell us a little bit about it, Chris? Okay, so One Call Eyes in the Mood for Love is a romance set in 1960s Hong Kong. It was first released at the 2000 Cannes Film Festival, where it was nominated for the Palme d'Or, and then released later that year in Hong Kong. Since then, it has appeared in the BBC's 100 Greatest Films of the 21st Century, come second only to Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Bang, bang, bang. So... It's the third time I've seen it, and I, I love it. You know, the first time I, I saw it, uh, my expectations were high, because I, I knew a lot of this stuff about it. And it was my first one-car wife film, I believe. And, you know, well, so this, this is before the first time you saw your expectations were so, high? Yes. Were you, okay. Yes, for the first watch, expectations were high. Uh, really well, enjoyed you, it. You were disappointed then? No, I wasn't disappointed. really enjoyed it. And I knew I had to show my mum. My mum and I lived in Hong Kong for a bit. So, you know, I was like, mum, you've got to see this film. Uh, even though we were there in the 90s and this film is set in the 60s. But yeah, so watch my mum. She loved it. Watched again for this episode. And I loved it even more because with this film, you know, audience, if you've listened to this a few times, you know that I care about my characters. I don't care what kind of story they're in, personally. Uh, it's not really what you know, rings my bell. So, I just like being with these people. And uh, this film is very much in the moment, I'd say. It's interesting because the setting can define the characters. It was definitely set in 1960s Hong Kong for a reason. I can't imagine it being set in, say, modern day Hong Kong because a lot of the plot and all the character development just wouldn't have been able to happen because you have... Excuse me, Ziggy. Because if you have, say, <laughs> mobile phones, you know, smartphones, um, I'm trying to think what, what else as well, what, what was the use of the eye, you know, a less conservative society, it, it wouldn't really have, have worked because they, would, because they wouldn't have felt the need to keep their romance, you know, under wraps. Exactly, and that's what they're trying to do, isn't yeah. it? They can't let people know because we'll give away a little bit of plot so this is a 90 minute film we'll, we'll give you a little bit of plot leading up to 30 minute mark sort of thing so basically when we meet these characters they're coincidentally moving into an apartment block at the same time so what I gathered was the geography of it two apartments where two older couples are renting out one of the rooms in their apartment so uh, Mrs. Chan, played by Maggie Chung, was just beautiful, and she was she was in a lot of stuff in the nineties. Same with Tony Leung, who plays Mr. Chow. He was in you know a lot of Wong Kar Wai films, uh, but worked with Ang Ang Lee in that. And uh, yeah, so Mrs. Chan, played by Maggie Chung, moves into one of the rooms in one of the apartments, and adjacent to that, Mr. Chow, played by Tony Leung, moves into one of the rooms with his wife in one of the apartments. So we've got these two marital couples. And they're moving in on the same day. You have that great scene of uh, uh, someone, one of the moving men, trying to move the bookshelves of Mrs. Chan in his, his apartment. And he goes, no, it's 
is my bookshelves, and then she has to go over to his apartment and say, are these your wife's shoes, because they're not my shoes. And it's very neighborly, it's very polite, and there's no sparks just yet, apart from the way they are framed. Um, Wong Kar Wai is known for his luscious cinematography. He works a lot with Christopher Doyle. And, yeah, I noticed that, actually. And you know, the reds, oh, the reds are so powerful, which is very synonymous with China, China, Hong Kong, that kind of like popping red vibrancy. Uh, but yeah, so they're quite neighborly and everything like that. I found it absolutely fascinating that you never see the faces of Mrs. Chan's husband or Mr. Chow's wife. Did you notice that? Yeah, I noticed that as well. So. I think that was, I'm wondering why the director went down that particular route of never showing them because I imagine in most romance films you do always see the other half, if not to make the point that, oh look at this other half, he's buffoonish, he's foolish, you know, our beautiful main character is too good for them, but here you don't see them at all and I think it does drive home the point that really they were completely, they just didn't see their other partners yeah. and how easy it was for them to be drawn. To each, each other. other, yeah. That has a terrific reason because they they barely see their partner, like we barely see their partner. So, for example, whenever we see, like we see the backs of them, and we hear their voices, but we don't see their faces, which brilliantly, as you said, because they don't even really see them a lot. But also, I felt like the choice of. It's quite, this is quite a universal story in that uh, as we go on, we're going to spoil more and more. Uh, so please watch the film before listening to the episode because it's so boring not talking about spoilers. Um, and you learn that their spouses are, spoiler alert, cheating on them with each other. So Mrs. Chan's husband is cheating on her with Mr. Chow's wife. And we don't learn that in this big scene where all the characters all together and it's like, you're sleeping with her, you're sleeping with her. It's not like that, it's so subtle in that uh, there's little details in terms of Miss, Mrs. Chan's husband's away uh, abroad for work in Japan. And we then hear, we overhear a phone conversation with uh, Mrs. Chow trying to get a boat ticket to Japan and uh, we finally reach this terrific scene in the diner with uh, Mr. Chow and Mrs. Chan asking each other questions about uh, his tie and her handbag and um, what did you think when that information was filtered out like so slowly in that scene when in their, in their like American little diner kind of thing? It's Ziggy, stop walking around. Sit down. I'm coming. I'm coming. I was just clearing up. Audience, I don't know about you, but he's so noisy. Sit. Good man. Okay. So I always knew that there was some kind of intrigue building up, especially where you have those these slow motion scenes where you have this violin. I think it's a violin mm -hmm. music playing and the do 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 almost <laughs> like a sort of like a clock, isn't it? Yeah. So I knew that something intriguing, intriguing was about to happen. So mm. that's all primed me for paying attention to these 
details. Yeah. So when they started piecing the information together, it, I was I was surprised, but in other respects, I wasn't as surprised because I knew it was building up to something mm. like this. If you see why I mean, well, but it was a, a very good plot device actually. Very clever how it was done. Yeah. Well, that's how I mean about it. it's universal and that. I don't know, infidelity is a thing, unfortunately. Uh, but what also got me was the way uh, Mrs. Chow and Mr. Chan bought things for their uh, lovers and their spouses and didn't even get them different things. So she, the, the, the wife bought her husband and her lover tie very similar not caring that they live like a door away from each other and he did the same thing with handbags and there's a little there's all kinds of different things going on with the different characters so the secondary characters in the the film for example one of mr chow's friends uh what's his name is it grew or mr goo or something like k-o-o-k-r-o-o i think and he's like i just go to brussels all the time you know my wife doesn't care because that's how I clear my head and she doesn't mind and he has a, a sentence he's re he repeated twice in the film which is I'm not like you you know and Mrs. Chan the same she doesn't want to be like her husband so when after this terrific scene in the restaurant where they both admit that their spouses are obviously having affairs with the other spouse they they reach this new sort of uh, layer of their relationship so that they're no longer neighbours. They now are almost like confidants to each other because it's not only that they are, they have spouses that are having affairs, it's e each other's thing. So it's this sort of intimacy that has grown from purely being part of a situation that was out of their control, out of their control. And you, this film's not predictable in the sense that what it develops into is this sort of role play thing where they're trying to work out how the affair began. Yeah, there's, this film definitely aims to add a depth and a complexity to this sort of human interaction because I think with a lot of romance films it's just the case that one good looking boy meets one good looking girl, they just love at first sight and this always it happens from the very beginning and the audience knows it happened from the very beginning. And you know and they're gonna end up together. There might be some minor intrigue here and there, but it even the film itself is saying to you it's destiny that they'll be together. Um, there's gonna be some minor inconveniences, but don't worry guys, it's gonna they're gonna come together. Whereas this film does doesn't do that. It's it's a lot more realistic, yeah. if you will, because it's not just that with this situation of their spouses cheating on them which brings them closer together there are lots of scenes which suggest and there might even be an attraction between the two themselves because mm -hmm. like I said met those slow motion scenes where you see Mrs um, Chan walk yeah. past Mr Chow and it's sort of plants a seed in your mind it doesn't tell you that there could be interest between the two but it plants that seed in your mind and, and lets, lets your mind wonder and figure out and that adds to the entertainment of it and then when there's that scene where they build up and discover um, what's going on with their other spouses, 
that doesn't necessarily lead to an immediate romantic attraction. They don't think, well, right, our spouse is cheating, let's cheat ourselves. And um, what it does is that initially friendship builds up. Because they have a lot in common, they like noodles, they like martial arts cereals. <laughs> yeah, so you have this um, potential attraction, you have their relationships breaking down, mm. and you have a friendship, friendship building up between the two. And the film really is about bringing all these factors together. It's like a recipe for a future, bringing all these um, ingredients in the recipe for a relationship together mm. and cooking it and seeing if what comes out on the other end is tasty. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, this film, like that score, that Spanish score, which is so unexpected but perfect. I mean, you have a little bit of knacking call in there saying, quizás. Which I looked up, and in English that means perhaps, 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 which goes so well because it's almost they can be together. It's weird because they allowed themselves. I didn't. I don't have any idea what that word meant. But when I was listening to the music and watching the film, I sort of knew that's what it sort of meant. You know what I mean? Mm. Where (laughs) is something? Why is it? Why is it? It's mystery isn't it so I think that was perfect really for the film yeah actually there wasn't much variety in music there was probably two no, scores and I like how it's the same stuff same pieces of music played over and mm. over again because it's always like as you were saying slow motion when they're going upstairs like narrow little corridors staircases mm. and that and um, I, I feel like when the music comes in it's always when they're feeling their lowest in terms of yeah, they, because they've not got their partner with them. And that. Because there's only really two scores and we're sort of conditioned to think about, to associate that music with, with certain scenes and certain mm. um, parts of the story, it becomes part of the, not part of the plot, but... Yeah, it's like an advancement. It's like it's like waves on a radio sort of thing and it's, it's tuned into their emotions. For example piece of music when they feel lonely is very melancholy it's like it goes <whistles> kind of like that whilst the kisas 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 the Nat King Cole one it's almost hopeful because it's like ba 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 so it's like you know a- actually them also those scenes where we talk about scenes where they're together mm. what I think is also important is the scenes when they're on their own because mm. the two complement each other because they aren't. Because in these scenes where they're on their own, reading alone, tell that's part of the story as much as the dialogue is as is as well. Because it's because if there wasn't that contrast, you wouldn't understand what's bringing them together. Because their partners are away, so just sat in, the, sat in their rooms, just eating on their own. They can't. They don't really want to come out because the neighbours are playing with young, isn't it? Yeah, Up until, I love it. Until what? the early hours in the morning getting very drunk getting very rowdy so they just stay in the room they can't really come out and they're just sort of sat sat on their own sort of brooding um, with their own thoughts and that's that's another factor that is bringing them together as well that's the thing so this isn't just a moody romance like there's a bit of humour in it for example with the Mayong I think I pronounced that correctly. Like when I lived in Hong Kong, like everyone was playing it all the time. Um, mostly, the older generation were playing it, like uh, in the parks, and they had like, you know, 70s 
setting up in restaurants kind of thing. Like, I like our chess, like our checkers, like that kind of thing. We can gamble with it, can't we? Yes, well. I think so. I believe you can. Yes, and what what's cute in this film is there's that terrific bit where they're they're becoming friends, but it's still still a bit odd because they they're constantly being watched. That's what I mean by this film feels like you're observing them so closely because the frame within frames. So frame within frames is you know how our frame is a a rectangle or a square or whatever. And then that's a shape, and then it's shapes within that shape. Is I never really noticed that. I think it's something that probably, probably I that had an effect on me. That mm-hmm. this, you know, it, it drew, drew me into the film. But it's these things which I don't notice. But but when you're looking at people through glass or through doorways, it feels so intimate because it's like you're right there and people or some people some directors use that to fantastic uh advantage in terms of you can get the audience member who's sitting watching something flat on their tv screen to crane their neck a certain way depending on how you put things in ah. your frame it's, it draws you in like literally you're going forward in your living room and you're like you can't you can't physically get closer or see around that corner <laughs> but you still think you can do it in the moment and um, the thing is, is that with the sense of humor, so that scene where uh, they start a friendship and they're in, uh, I'm, gonna ju- I'm just going to call him Tony because Chow and Chan saying that over and over again is getting really confusing. So Tony and Maggie is what we're going to call them. When Tony invites Maggie over to write a novel, they're writing a novel together um, about martial arts, uh, suddenly the two older couples, the owners of his room in the apartment, the owner of her room in the, in the other apartment, come back uh, unexpectedly, they're meant to be having dinner, and he says to her, don't come out of the room yet, they're here, and he says to them, are you going to be playing Myung all night, kind of thing, no, no, we're just going to play eight rounds, and then he goes back to the room and tells Maggie, she's like, well that means all night, they will go all night, sure enough they do, and the thing is, is that she she's quite paranoid about leaving the room because she's worried they'll start suspecting this thing going on between them and as we've been saying that it's a very big thing for both of them to not create gossip because they don't want to be like their cheating spouses and it's that 60s setting uh but i also think it's who they are as people and also they're actively not trying to fall in love I think with there's a pragmatic concern they just want to be in control of the situation yes as well yeah. because when they're seen together they're not actually cheating are they no it's it's hardly can't even really say it's in a sort of emotional cheating they're just friends they never as... kiss in the film no. they never kiss in the film uh we are talking to brothers dun, 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 dun. and also what was interesting is is that we never know if they did cross that sort of friends to romantic you know part of kind of thing because the interesting thing about this film was it took 15 months to film which is unheard of in a lot of respects like a lot of films take 25 days to film so <laughs> 15 months is like wow because they were doing reshoots and they were going into post-production and editing it and editing it and editing it in fact he was editing it right down to when he uh, entered it into Cannes you know because there was a lot of discussion about like how how far do we go and he one car I had incredible collaborations with Tony Leung and Maggie Chung in terms of what do you think how do you think your characters will would really 
realistically navigate this. For example, they did shoot love scenes, you know, the, and you know, kissing scenes and that kind of thing. And in the end, they took it all out because they thought there's an element to the relationship where you can believe that not contrived, they wouldn't cross that line. But there's an element to the film where we feel as if it's something did happen, but it's just not been shown. There's a scene where Maggie Chung says, I don't want to be alone tonight and we kind of leave them and we see them again maybe it's the next morning maybe it's a few days later and you you wonder so did did they did did they but we don't know nothing's confirmed and that's what's so fascinating about this film and everyone can everyone can have a different opinion on it you know but it gets you questioning about are they you wonder if say because another thing I know I'm going on and on, another thing was Wong Kar Wai said his beliefs on love is that sometimes, you know, just how the world works, you meet the person you're meant to be with too early or you meet the person you're meant to be with too late. So too early, you, you're not sure how to navigate love and too late, you've already got married or something like that so that you can't be together. And this film explores you know, in this case, you met the right person too late. Um, so it is interesting and it is heartbreaking, but the film... The film does, I think the film does grease the wheels a little bit by making the spouses cheating each other and then making them happen to be away all the time in overtime shifts or night shifts or in another country as well. Because that situation is naturally going to bring two people closer together and there's all I think there is a suggestion that they are attracted to each other and there are lots of external factors forcing them together mm. if you will and in those situations they almost have to be aware self self aware of what's going on in themselves and between each other which they are and then try and keep that distance between themselves because really without any kind of thought about that without thinking deeply about it, without any thought about it. And if they just sort of let their inhibitions go, they would just have a romantic relationship. Yeah, because as you're saying, you do wonder like if it was set in the year two thousand, the year it was released, would they not be worried about the older probably gender? They're probably just <laughs> probably just cheating each other unfortunately, but um, well there's that that social change from more conservative society to well, a more liberal society where the idea of a man cheating on his wife is well okay there, there were suggestions as well where the Mr. Coo was, was that yeah he's like I so, go to brothels so, you may, know so my maybe, wife don't care <laughs> so maybe I'm maybe I'm not being correct in that it, particularly but I think it is more liberal now and if um, there's it's not quite the same pressure to maintain a happy married couple image if things are going well, very wrong yeah. um, and for better or for worse but also I think it's just some of the mechanics of life as well have changed so when you've got mobile phones and smartphones and all these apps the thing is they don't need to be trying to like dodge people or not be seen together because <laughs> what will happen is they'll both be in separate apartments they'll just be texting just each be other texting, yeah. well that's the thing I mean 
there's a romance to people just having face-to-face conversations than just over email or whatever. I mean, unless I'm just old-fashioned, I don't know. But the other thing is, with this film, uh, you know, you were talking about liberal. I say, in this day and age, not liberal in terms of, yeah, you can have multiple partners or whatever. I mean, <laughs> not that, you know, I mean, God, we're going down a total different conversation now. But what I'm trying to say is that divorce isn't as taboo yeah. as it once was. For example, you know, when people were getting divorced in the 30s. I think people got divorced in the 30s. Uh, I think it was invented before then. I think Henry yeah. VIII might have Oh, yes, you. of course. I'm a dummy. I'm a dummy. I'm a dummy. Gabby's being a dummy again. Uh, but yes, it, taboo, and now it's less frowned upon. People get divorced, yes. So what's interesting in, in this film is eventually Mrs. Chan moves away, but she returns to see uh, the woman. I think it's Mrs. Suen. Maybe Suen, something like that. The older lady, yeah, the, like the lady of her apartment. Yeah, and she sees her, and uh, one of the things she says to Mrs. Chan is, "How's your husband?" And Mrs. Chan responds, with, "Oh yes, he's fine." But in a later scene, when you see her in her flat, um, you think, "I wonder if she just said that to not create more questions." Just like, "Yeah, he's fine," but actually they're not together anymore. But just to not. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like when, when people say, "How are you feeling?" Say, "I'm fine," and then and you're, you're screaming, like, "I'm not you're fine." You're screaming internally, or. <laughs> but it's like you don't want to have the conversation, sort of thing. But I don't know. With this film, I love films with a really, really great score, which this does. But I'm also, I also get more interested in films when I've seen other. Uh, work from the same director. So Wong Kar Wai, I've seen uh, Chunking Express, which is a film that's almost divided into two films, but it's in one, you know, film, if you wish. Two parts in one film, that's what I'm trying to say. And in the first part, well, in all the films, he's trying to just not conquer what love is, but trying to explore love and how love is so contradictory. So the first part of Chungi Express is this security guard, I think he's a security guard, he meets this woman who's uh, a thief, right? Like a notorious woman who just robs places at gunpoint. And he's really drawn to her and everything, but how she lives her life contradicts how he lives his life in terms of morals. You know, he's trying to, he's, he's trying to, you know, the law kind of thing. She's like, screw the law sort of thing. So it's like, can people... Kind of poacher and gamekeeper type. Yeah, like that. Like, can we, co- can we overcome this and be together? And in the second part of uh, Chunging Express, it's a few years ago, listeners, that I watched this, so I'm just trying to work it out, um, was she's... He's in a relationship, or he just came out of one, and it's, can you move on? Yeah, he just came out of one, that was it. Can you move on so quickly when you meet someone so soon after you've broken up or do you need a bit of time but if you have a bit of time will that person not wait for you and move on to someone else so it's like do you act or do you give yourself more time to you know have space and then in the next one I saw was Happy Together which is about two Chinese men who are living in Argentina and they're trying to be together but one of them works hard at his job and the other one's just getting sacked every every other week and it's like well can you have a relationship where one of you is trying so hard to earn money and look after you both, have a roof over your head, or can you not because the other one's just not trying as hard as you are? So, one car why 
trying to explore love and there's no right answers it's all it's all about different personality different upbringing or whatever like that so i think coming back round again to into the mood for love and knowing how deeply he cares about that theme i i just appreciated the film more because that's what comes through isn't it like when you're making a piece of work that's for you and what you're trying to explore rather than this is what sells i'm going to put it out there because you know superheroes bang bang definitely i think this is a very sophisticated film and i'm not too i'm not embarrassed to admit that it's almost too sophisticated for me because i understand a lot of the ideas of the film but it's about and there's just this next level to it which i know exists but Mm -hmm. i'm not able to reach it yeah yes it's it's hard to describe but i think that i can make some concluding remarks about the film so it was rated by the bbc's survey as the second best film of the 21st century mm-hmm. so we're that was in 20, that was 2016 i think so and that's about 16 years and so there's a long time to go is it the second best film in the 21st century i say no because it's, it'd have to be perfect really and mm-hmm. i think there are there are films which are better than it. I'm not going to give examples, but there, I think there are films that are better than it. Yeah. There are certain criticisms I have of it. I think this use of the slow motion camera, these scenes, sometimes it was worked well, other times it was a bit, not cliche, just not strictly necessary. Mm. And, and it did start to become a bit overused, or, well not overused, but you had this slow motion scene with the music and you're wondering oh why really <laughs> um so i think although that didn't really put me off it well i'm not playing one off it yeah. and although i didn't think badly of some of those scenes i think there are people watching it who would see these slow motion scenes and think yeah, it's a bit naff that, that's really yeah that, that's the non-technical word but it's the best way to describe it. there are some people who watch those slow motion scenes I think ah, this yeah. is a bit naff but I think it's self aware in that there's a bit where because Maggie Chung is just like I don't know she's just so beautiful and she's always it took uh, the makeup department five hours a day <laughs> to make her up like with her hair and her lipstick and everything I, I mean even as a guy I was thinking yeah she's got she's been doing very well I'm wondering when she when she got the time to do all of that in, well, in the flat well that's the thing so yes so that's the bit I'm coming to about self-aware she she puts on these beautiful elegant dresses she does her hair does her eyes her lipstick everything and quite often her husband is in there and she claims she doesn't like cooking for herself so she goes and she buys noodles and the woman uh, she lives in the apartment with um, who's her landlady and there's also a cook there um, they have an exchange where one of them says to the other, she goes out dressing like that to buy noodles. Yeah. So it, the, the film is almost not poking fun at itself, but it's sort of saying, you know, with the slow motion and the music of, because there's this great bit where we begin on her noodle box, because she always takes her box to the noodle place, they fill it up with noodles and she takes it back, you know? And it starts on her noodle box and then it goes up her arm and it goes all the way up her shoulder and then it goes to her face and she's always got this sort of look of 
sort of, she's not quite there. She's blank faced almost, but, but with sad eyes. And then we, <laughs> we follow her and she goes down the stairs and she arrives in this noodle bar where there's smoke everywhere and there's like steam and everything. She's like wiping her forehead with tissue and you think, this is quite extravagant. And the scene is, she's going to buy noodles and it's a little... Well, I almost thought, I don't know if this is something that I recommend meant to convey, but I always thought, well, the reason why she's putting all this effort in is to get noticed by mm. um, Tony. Yeah. And that's what I thought about it. But then I think there were other scenes where it was a bit naff because you'd have some, something intriguing would happen and then afterwards you'd sort of have music, slow motion, um, sort of close up of the face and you're wondering, well, is, is this really, yeah, what, what is this adding? But I just had a thought. I wonder if she does it for herself. You know, I wonder if she makes herself up that way for herself in terms of no. she wants to still be <laughs> no. an attractive woman who no. has is her self esteem no, no, Chrissy I, I think, is I think her self esteem well, the reason why women put themselves in, in makeup is to look attractive to men okay? that's, no, no. that's why we do it and why no, else do it? no a woman wants to feel good about herself come on girls you know, hit, you know hit me up on the twitter page here a woman wants to feel good about herself so that's an element obviously of when she's buying clothes. Don't look at me, I'm sitting on the fence here. You've made your bed. And you've oh, okay. Boy. You guys are such a pain. What were they saying? Right. So, this is the thing. Like, she wants her... So she wears oh. makeup oh. because oh. she's a strong woman, doesn't need a man, you know. She doesn't need a man because <laughs> at the end of the film, spoiler alert, she's got a little boy who... We don't know is Tony's or her husband because as actually. as I said as I said like no love making scenes no even kissing scenes so we don't know if it is his boy or if it's her husband's son um, but she is a from my perception of the ending of the film my reading is that she is a single mother no she doesn't dress herself up like she did uh, before she had her child but she's still very nicely dressed like hair perfectly styled. And I think it's just for her. And she doesn't need a man because she's not... Well, I mean, I don't know. We only see a small piece of her epilogue, if you will. But I don't know. I think it's interesting because at the end, there was a female perspective, I think. Male perspective. Because there was that scene where she calls Tony, to the she? But then she doesn't say anything. Yeah. And then the call ends. And I, I don't really understand. I mean, I know why Daps and Daps put it in because it's realistic, but I, that's one thing I don't understand about the psychology. Well, I think it's because it. we didn't live in the 60s, Chris. Well, no, no, no. I think that's just a universal thing because, you know, we have, you know, in modern dating, you have like ghosting, you have people like leaving, <laughs> leaving someone. Catfishing. Yeah, and all that sort of thing. So. Um, I think yeah, I think that's just the 1960s equivalent. You call someone up and then yeah. you just you, you don't know what to say. You just call them, call them for but I also think uh, for some yeah. reason and then you hang up. And then you had the male perspective, mm -hmm. which was Tony sort of going to a I think it's the Angkor Angkor Wat, isn't it, in Cambodia? Yeah, and there's so a monk watching him, yeah, which goes back to what we said about constantly being observed by other people. Yeah, perhaps yeah, and there's this holy site, this religious site where people explore, would explore their feelings, emotions and think about their place in the universe and he went there and he put his 
sort of he, he whispered his secret he, into whispered the secret into the walls of this temple and that's a very male perspective bottling up your well yeah bottling yeah. up your feelings and then being able to release them secretly but also the idea of contempla- contemplation mm-hmm. about what what's happened and coming to terms with what's happened that's sort of a male perspective and what what happens perhaps when um, these sort of like romance fizzles out or dies I will say in in my experience of uh, uh, yes listeners we are wrapping this up uh, um, but w- one of my closing thoughts is that what I'll say about the the ways of watching a film and then re-watching it and how that can massively take, change your opinion of a film because I think I'm not re-watching it Gavin uh, I watch yes. it, I, I, all films I watch once okay fair enough I don't know why, but... Fair enough. Well, yeah, I mean, there's not Well, I've many... watched Star Wars several times, but that's Star well, well, Wars. Well, how about that, then? <laughs> well, listen, listen, I've just, I've just... So, my thoughts are, when you're first... The first time you're watching a film, you are almost trying to write it, you know? Scene by scene, you're either... It's a game. making so much noise, I'm trying to think. I've literally just made a noise for the first time in about 20 minutes, and it was accidental, so... Okay, I'm sorry. See, this is what it's like being married, Chris. Is that you? You bite the other person, and then you go, "I'm, I'm sorry, that was kind of uncalled for." You're, you're welcome. Yeah. What was I saying? First watches, first watches, second watches. Right. So the first watch, you're almost trying to write the film as it's happening. Cause yeah. You're like, oh, definitely. such and such is going to happen next, or such and such should happen next. Doesn't. Yeah. So I, I remember when I first watched *In the Mood for Love*, I was like, no, she should do this or do that and oh how could they just miss miss each other if she'd just gone an hour later and do it and you're almost trying to predict trying to rewrite as you're watching it. i think it's quite natural and your second watch because you know everything that's coming you're you're sitting differently you're watching it in a way where your your brain does not care what's going to happen in the next scene because it already knows that information. Yeah, you appreciate so, it differently. Yes. There's, there's things you pay more attention to than you wouldn't have before. So I think second time you watch a film, you probably are paying more attention to You do appreciate more things such as the cinematography, the scenery, the atmosphere that's created. Whereas when you watch it the first time, you are focusing a lot more on the plot, for example, mm-hmm. and trying to understand what's going to happen. But then the thing is, the second time you watch it, a lot of that mystery and a lot of the... You don't feel the same about it yeah. emotionally because you're not going to be surprised, shocked, or... Um, you don't, don't feel as deeply about it the second time you watch it, I don't believe. But you might disagree with that point, but that's um, my my final thoughts on, on the film and yeah. your, your thoughts on it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like, there's so many films I wish I'd give a second chance to... But there's also so many things I've never seen. So it's like, well, what do I do? Do I rewatch the film? Or do I watch something new for the first time? Me, don't really give second chances to films because they think, well, rewatch it. And then. <laughs> I did with Mean Streets. I did with Mean Streets. I was like, because you. You picked... didn't enjoy Mean Streets the first time? Not particularly. No, oh, that's weird. I know. How bizarre. Well, there was um, the. John Cassavetti's film, Killing Me with Chinese Bookie. Mm-hmm. Well, there was two versions of it. Yeah. And the thing is, is that. I think that that is one example where you in essence rewatch your film because you might watch the first time you might watch the first version of it and that might not be that great but then you might improve and you might watch it again but yeah. that's probably a very specific circumstance yeah it's like you know the director's cuts of Blade Runner like yeah. there's been three cuts so there's 
Blade Runner, and then it's Blade Runner, the director's cut, and then it's like <laughs> Blade Runner, the final cut, and final, the final cut is the only one worth watching, uh, really. Uh, that's good. And that does certainly change your opinion on characters and themes and everything. We could start talking about unicorns, but we, we should probably start wrapping this up. So we've done our two for the month of February, so we'll be doing two episodes next month. Excellent. And I'll be choosing the next film, so if what you want to... Well, I don't know what it is, but but listeners, listeners, if you want to know what it is before we upload it, I usually tell you on the Twitter page about a week before. That's how I'll find out as well. Yeah, and that's how Chris <laughs> will find out as well. Right, later, bye. bye. It wasn't really like specifically when you're outside the referee, it was if you're in a kind of environment that you're enclosed and then you had a free grip. You could... To lift him up. No. no, to catch the ball. No, to get the ball off him. Mm.